Welcome to the Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast, where it's all about learning from the best minds in the sport so you can train smarter, stay healthy, and run faster now. And now your host, Tina Muir. Hello, this is Tina Muir. Welcome to the Run to the Top podcast. With the running boom that has been going on for a few years now, we have learned more and more about running. And we've added so many things that we need to pay attention to in order to get the best out of our running. But are we making things too complicated? My guest today has so much research and knowledge behind him, but he's encouraging runners to go back to basics, keep things simple, and focus on what really matters, those things that do not keep changing as new research comes out. As runners, this can be tough for us, as we tend to go overboard when we learn about something that might help us, but hopefully today's interview shows you what really matters and how an outside opinion from a coach could be just what you need to get the most out of your running, rather than just following along with the latest and greatest information. I know I can be guilty of that too. My guest today is Greg Lehman. Greg is a physiotherapist and chiropractor, and at the start of his career, he was one of only two students to receive a graduate scholarship to train with Professor Stuart McGill in his occupational biomechanics laboratory. Pretty prestigious. He was part of over 20 peer-reviewed papers in manual therapy and the exercise biomechanics field. He has an MSc in spine biomechanics and is a strength and conditioning specialist. Finally, he was the Researcher of the Year in 2006 from the Ontario Chiropractic Association. So, what are we going to learn about Greg? What Greg is going to talk about, why it is important to treat runners and their injuries from the psychological and social aspect as well as the physical pain and treatment aspect, why Greg's favourite study was actually the one he was wrong. That's got to be pretty hard to admit, I know I struggle with that. Why Greg values getting a coach as one of the most important things you need to do as a runner. And what Greg has learned over the years as a physiotherapist and chiropractor and how his thinking has changed. Are you ready to learn from Greg? Let's go meet him. Welcome to the Run to the Top podcast, Greg. Oh, thanks for having me. We're excited to learn a lot more about you. You're one of the pioneers of our sport and I think you're honestly probably the most requested person we've had. So um, reading through your bio, I, I can't believe what you've accomplished already. And I'm really excited to think about what oh, you'll I'm do. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm excited to see what you will bring in the future. Um, so let's begin with uh, on your blog, it, uh, on your website, it says about you being a physiotherapist and chiropractor treating muscul- musculoskeletal disorders within a bio psychosocial model can you Correct. explain that to us as that's a little uh little much for us some of us to take in <laughs> uh what it means is uh my my background was in biomechanics mm-hmm. that was my master's first and so as physios and chiros or therapists we tend just to look at the biology of injury or the biomechanics of injury like the impact when you're running and how much you're running and your progression which is all important but pain and injury don't exist just in that biomechanical world. They exist in the person, how they're sleeping, in their emotions, and everything that's going on. So that's the psychosocial model, uh, where if you really want to prevent injuries or treat injuries, you have to look at everything. 
you can't just look at the biomechanics. They're important, but probably not as important as we think. Wow, that's interesting. I love hearing that because uh, my uh, coach slash fiance is yeah. uh, always teasing me about, you know, when something, when I get pain, it's not so much the physical aspect of it. It's more the the way my mind spins out of control. And like you said, can't sleep. You know, you, you worry about it and things, you know, psychologically how it affects you. So that's really interesting that you are yeah. kind of putting it all together because it, it does make a big difference. And uh, just before I go on, do you want to, can you explain to us a little about um, phantom pain? Have you kind of come across that? Like, you know, when people are returning from a stress fracture or like other things that they feel that pain, maybe, you know, in that spot where they did have an injury? Yeah, I mean, phantom limb pain is the model for that, uh, which we, we've known about for decades. So that's phantom limb pain is when someone doesn't have the limb and they actually experience yeah. pain in that. And this, the idea is that think of pain or injury as more about sensitivity. You know, it just doesn't always mean that there's tissue damage. You know, you need to have excited nerves and a brain that's responsive to it. And so the the pain is more of a a construct or an output of the brain if that makes sense okay uh so people will often feel this echo or the memory of pain you know even if there's nothing going on in the periphery it just tends to stick around because the brain stays sensitized is the idea and then treating that as different and and understanding that helps because it takes away the fear and the threat. You know, if you're coming back from a stress fracture and it's been a long time and you've ruled out the fact that there isn't a stress fracture there, it's normal to have some discomfort. Discomfort alone doesn't mean that there's injury. It doesn't mean hammer through it. That's the big thing, though. It doesn't mean totally ignore it. Because if you keep bombarding the nervous system with what we call nociception, which is the sort of the nerve signaling to the brain, you can keep sensitizing it. So we have to find this happy medium of poking into a bit of discomfort, but not really flaring up too much. So on a you know scale of one to 10, you'd say maybe like a one or a two out of 10 is okay. And then... Well, our magic number is even a touch higher, whatever four or five means, but okay. we have some data. And that, that kind of means you're running and it still hurts, but it doesn't hurt so much that you have to really change your form or, you know, you're really, you know, gritting your teeth. And certainly, you're not having a flare-up the next day. That's the big thing. It's that discomfort at the time. And that the next day flare-up is almost saying you don't want to learn to have pain. If you're flared up the next day, different than regular muscle and joint aches, then it's too much and you're hobbling around. You're sort of, you're getting better at creating that pain habit. And that's what you want to avoid. Okay. I think that that definitely clears it up for me. So hopefully our listeners will uh, appreciate that too. So let's start from the beginning. You trained, well, almost the beginning. You trained with uh, Professor Stuart McGill in his occupational biomechanics lab and, uh, you know, covered, was it 20 different uh, research studies during that time? So with Stu, uh, we probably did four or five together. And then after that, I went on to uh, to go to school and to teach at the chiropractic college. And I was just lucky enough to be on faculty when I was oh, a student. Okay. And I had like uh, a great colleagues who were students of mine or younger and older. And we were able to put out a lot of really 
okay research papers. <laughs> Nothing sure fantastic, but they they were good. They were okay. I'm sure that I'm sure you're just being yeah. modest there. <laughs> Not really, but <laughs> <laughs> do you have a a favorite or a a, to- a topic that you know you really didn't expect to find what you did? You know, my favorites were the ones we never really got published or or, or did. You mm-hmm. know, because I I left there uh, earlier than I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone has those on their on their career path. Uh, I we had like a lot of cool stuff. Like, um, you know, I had this idea ten years ago that you could train the core without actually doing an ab exercise. I was wrong, um, <laughs> but but it was interesting. You know, we had people doing like overhead uh, presses and clean and jerks and heavy deadlifts and heavy squats, and I really thought like the anterior abs or the lateral abs would be working a lot. And they really weren't, you know, and a few people, have, and we saw that in three people was just not enough to publish. And then I, I believe that's been pretty proven in the past decade. So that stuff was interesting. So it's been proven that you were yeah. correct in your initial thoughts or? I was wrong. Or you were wrong. In my initial thoughts. I thought you, like I wanted to test, I thought you could train your core without, you know, specifically trying to train your core, just doing general compound exercises. Okay, but you're not talking about, uh, you know, you have to have to do sit-ups or planks. Or you, you, you know, can you still, you know, you don't have to do those things. Mm-hmm. I think jumping and knee drives, we, we, we wanted to test those as well, was, was the effect of uh, plyometric training mm-hmm. on, on core muscle activation yep. and all those things. And I think those things would probably work. But, uh, no, I mean, if, if you really want to, train your core there's nothing wrong with the sit-up or a plank or those boring old things if, if that's your intention if and it's you get a, with it's, good form uh it depends what you call good form <laughs> oh really right you know and that's a big debate uh if you have a sport like good form typically we would say uh stay in neutral don't deviate from neutral posture but i would say now uh if you have a sport that requires you to go outside of neutral uh then you should train that to prepare for it. Is you know? running one of those? No, oh. there's a little bit of motion, and it carries over too. If you do a plank all day, it's you know it's not going to stiffen you up and make your spine get suddenly stiff and not be able to run fluidly. Like that's the other thing we take it too far. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with doing forty sit ups on the ground. You know oh. that stuff's okay too. And yeah, even what about the guy that did uh, was it five and a half hours of a plank a few weeks ago? Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> pretty great impressive. That's sport. <laughs> but I don't think it's going to help any runner. No, no, definitely not. So, how did all, doing all those studies kind of earlier in your life? How did that kind of change your path for the future? Did it did it get you get you excited about a particular area, or you just kind of went with the flow? You know what? It, all of them almost say, and I, I still believe this is that we can be a lot simpler. We try to complicate things. You know, I was doing a lot of research papers on uh, unstable surfaces and doing squats on wobble boards and doing your workout on a Swiss ball, and it hardly changes anything. You know, you just you just don't need that stuff. You just do the basics that people have done for 30 and 50 years. You know, if you want to get stronger, then do basic strength training exercises. If you're a runner and you want to help your running, then do basic strength training exercises. You don't really need to do anything that that that's that complicated you know if you want to get faster running then run more <laughs> you know get a coach yeah i think that's something that um a lot of runners we tend to you know we tend to be type a personalities tend to take things to heart and go overboard with things and uh that's one way yeah i think some you're right sometimes we do 
make make things more complicated than they should be it's kind of like reminds me of you know when people do training um they think there's a secret workout but really it doesn't really matter what workouts you're doing as long as you're training the right systems in the right areas yeah and you're consistent yeah yeah definitely that definitely makes a difference so you have a book called uh, pain fundamentals which is available on your website which is at greglayman.ca which yes. I will put a link to on our show notes at runnersconnect.net forward slash RC64. Um, so can you tell, tell us a little about that? It's a bit different being a workbook, so I just want to hear a little about it. Yeah, it, it's set up for both patients and, uh, and therapists to work together, but it's also, I think it's maybe 16 or 18 sort of one-page infographics where you don't have to use the whole workbook. You know, if you're a therapist and you're working with people or if you're a patient, you want to understand a bit more about pain. And the whole thing is to reconceptualize pain, to shift it a bit away from the idea that you're damaged and frail and falling apart to understanding what pain really is, which is just something we create to motivate you to do something. Mm-hmm. It's more of an alarm and it, and it explains that. And and it's not, it's my take on the li- on the literature, but... It's really not like I'm informed by great researchers like David Butler and Lorimer Mosley. You know, th- these are these are really the the leaders in the field. So I just sort of uh, put it in in my words and let people uh, uh, use it. So would that be for anyone who's kind of going through some kind of issue that's causing them pain? They could download it and uh, check it out. Yeah, I, I think it helps. I, I think it fits in with athletes or people that have, you know, sort, sort of that persistent six months pain, but also fits with the idea that uh, anyone with pain, because the pain you feel is often more than the problem. And again, that's because everything in your life can influence your pain. You know, if you're a runner, like when I was in a training for my last marathon, my knees were killing me one week and I really scaled back my volume and I wasn't doing any volume. It's because I was traveling. I wasn't sleeping at all because I went to the UK. I was teaching a course. So I, I was, I always get stressed out because you feel like an idiot. <laughs> and so you know, I have all these smart people are going to listen to you. So if all these, I had all these psychosocial factors and my knees were sore and I just took it easy that week. And then I was totally back up to my volume the next week and, and after that. You know, that's the idea where it's, you, you, you can, it's okay to give yourself a break and look at, again, more than just the biomechanics. Mm-hmm. Great, great advice there. Uh, and I think that is something we often take for granted, isn't it? We often think, you know, look at the running and think what's, what's going on with that, but we never really think about uh, tracing back our steps within the rest of our life. So good advice yeah. there. I actually think coaches are are psychosocial interventionists yeah i think good coaches do this stuff automatically and they've always done it and they're probably just being recognized or i don't know if they're being recognized but certainly they're being vindicated if they've done those things there's just a paper i haven't read the full text but it's looking at uh, injuries in division one football players i believe uh it, it looks really solid the research paper and i the injury rates were almost double at times of high academic stress versus low academic stress it's not like there was more tackling going on in those periods, you know, and more force. And that's a that's a sport that's very biomechanically determined. Like we're talking impact and overuse and heavy loads. And here you have this psychosocial mediator influencing how many injuries people had. Yeah. So. 
Very interesting. We actually have a study uh, that one of our authors, uh, John Davis, has coming out in the next few weeks about ego depletion. I'm sure you've uh, you've uh, read up on this, and uh, it was talking about how uh, people that try to do try to run hard after doing a cognitive task performed less well because they, you know, their mind had been focused on that task. And yeah, yeah, it's so that was interesting to read about. And uh, it's, isn't it the Macora work? I think. Uh, yes. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. So listeners, you will be able to check that out in uh, just a few weeks. So do you want to tell us a little about uh, what you're doing right now with, uh, you mentioned to me when we were talking before about you you have a foam rolling uh, publication coming out. Could you tell us a little about that? Yeah, I'm not the, I'm, I'm working with this great young researcher, Andrew, I'm going to say his last name wrong, uh, Vygotsky. Uh, and it's, he's really the lead and, uh, I'm, I'm just helping out where we did this foam rolling's massive and I've, I've been a, a slightly critical of it over the years. Cause I think it's just one of those things that people catch on to and they do too much and they think it's doing more than it really is. I'm not really anti, it's just if it's replacing other things. Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing a lot of data that, uh, people's range of motion was increasing after they did it. And we we kind of and those research papers we thought had a few flaws. So uh, Andrew did the the study where we had a really good warm up and the people were foam rolling and we weren't really seeing a dramatic changes in range of motion if hmm. you controlled for the right variables. Really, you know, that that's sort of the take home. It wasn't as as powerful as we think, and we, and we see that a lot when you, when research studies. Uh, control for all of the variables you know often it's less powerful than you think uh, and it doesn't mean stop foam rolling but again do your the basic simple stuff right you know good warm-up strength training all these things good running you know good training appropriately these all trump a little foam roller Mm-hmm. what I would take from all the research there. And was that just looking at before running or did it look at after as well? No, we didn't even look at running. We just looked at range of motion because oh, okay. that's what people were studying okay. at, at the time. Okay. And, and uh, we looked at hip extension. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. The Thomas test, yeah. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned that you, you ran a marathon recently and uh, so I guess you do still run yourself. But what does is, what is your training look like? Right now. So I, I uh, that was my first marathon. I don't like distance. I just want to qualify for Boston, and <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I followed the Hansen's method with that one, and that didn't work for me. So my training now is, and I only did a twenty-eight k long run, uh, which wasn't enough. No, uh, and and I like to run fast and do good workouts. So my coach now is a, a friend of mine, Nicole Stevenson, here in Toronto. And it's really only four or five days a week, but it's harder workout. It's it's that whole adage of uh, you know your your hard should be hard and your sh- slow should be really slow. Yeah. So I'm um, I'm building more up of uh, my long run up more to get to 35k, and, uh-huh. and I'm still doing very intense intervals and harder tempos, which I prefer. Because before I was doing like 15k tempos <laughs> at kind of marathon pace, and yeah. that's just. It's not fast enough to feel like you did anything, but it's fast enough to be uncomfortable and yeah. boring. 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. As uh, we are actually big fans of that, uh, what you said you've tra- transitioned into uh, running easy. Kind of the Matt Fitzgerald is uh, one of the ones who promotes that as well with the twenty twenty percent hard, eighty percent easy. So yeah, good to hear. Stephen Sealer stuff. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and how far were you off the Boston qualifier? Uh like thirteen minutes. Okay. But like I kind of abandoned ship, you know, at twenty four <laughs> and and uh actually the 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 i was really upset because it was the good life marathon here in toronto which i wouldn't recommend that anyone do uh <laughs> there's a scotia bank which is better the the markers were wrong oh, up no. to 5k it was horrible oh no so that never was got on pace. was it they say you were further along or? oh my god it had me going through 2k in eight minutes like i was doing a four minute <laughs> kilometer and i was probably doing 450s and you know, so then and then at 10k, you're off by a minute. So I never did one kilometer on pace. Oh no! Well, maybe you did. You just didn't know about it. No, oh, no, no, I oh, no. no idea. <laughs> okay. So I maybe had an extra five minutes of had some courage. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So uh, you chose to make running a focus. Like we talked about, how you you know you've done a lot um, in your life already, but you chose to make running one of the priorities. But what is it about running that interests you the most? Well, it's funny. I was I liked the biomechanics of running for a decade before I ever started running myself. Oh, really? And my wife was a pretty fast runner, and all of her friends were. And then I just fell into treating fast runners. So I, I think I liked the biomechanics and just just studying it was the big thing. And then I and then once you meet runners, I like the idea that when you're running a race, and I think you see this even at elite levels, even the people you're competing against are cheering for you in a way. You know, we would have three or four top Canadian guys and and the women, and you know they're working together in a marathon, even though they're competing, yeah. the men and the women for the same three spots. And you know, you're not cheering against your your the person you're running with. I was going to call them your opponent, but that's not the right word. Like I'm sure you've been in a race where you pass someone and they cheer you on to yeah. pass the next person. Oh, definitely. Like, that's fantastic. Awesome. Yeah, such a community. Yeah. I think a lot of that is just because we all know that we're out there together and everyone's struggling and, um, you know, you, no matter who you are, you're not exempt to it. It's it's going to hurt. And so you kind of, com- that camaraderie from uh, being out there together. But yeah, you're, you're right. It is the only, it is the only sport. And it kind of reminds me of how, you know, in uh, when you watch like a, a soccer game or uh, any kind of, you know, sport that you, uh, team sport, a lot of the fans will yell like what are you doing I could do that better than you kind of you know insulting the players rather than in running it's like you know well maybe they had a bad day or like come on you can do this like we encourage one another so yeah it's great that is uh that's kind of what you noticed starting as a non-runner and kind of working your way into it so that's kind of cool what is it about bike running biomechanics that interested you then? If you, you said that you, you know, you started kind of working with them and you found it interesting, why running biomechanics? Well, it has a few things that are pretty interesting with that don't even make sense. Like uh, the whole idea of running being about springs, you know, and I like the idea that stiffness is better than running than being more flexible. Well, both stiffness and flexibility is not that important. You know, there's all these odd little biomechanical paradoxes about running. That's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, like the extensor paradox, which is when halfway through the gait cycle, when your foot's on the ground and you think you're pushing off, your muscles have actually turned off and you're just springing along and, and bouncing. 
you know, I, I found that interesting. And I like the idea that heavy strength training, which would seem totally non-specific to running and sort of repeal this idea of specificity, you know, it doesn't look like running. It's not even the same loads. You're not even moving the same way yet. It can help with endurance, you know? And so these things are quite interesting and probably for reasons that, that we don't even know right now. So I liked it as like the research puzzle would be the idea. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of intrigues you because it's not quite as straightforward and there's a lot of things that kind of, like you said, don't quite make sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Interesting. So you are one of the lecturers uh, for our form course along with Irene Davis, Pete Larson, Brian Heiderscheidt, Matt Phillips and Jay Daikari. Uh, can you tell us a little about uh, what your your lecture, your section of the course kind of goes over? If you remember. <laughs> no, I can't remember. <laughs> it was quite a I while ago. Yeah, I know that. My my <laughs> patient is, one of my patients is on there, and it's her running. And I got permission from her to show the video, but she downloaded the course once and was watching, and she's like, that's that's my butt. <laughs> like, it is but about hip drop. I remember that. And I don't even know if I would agree with all of it still, but I, I, we just went through a lot of, of the biomechanics mm-hmm. and running related flaws. Okay. So, so sorry. I have no okay. Idea <laughs> no, that's fair enough. I, I, I don't, get... I don't listen to my own stuff. That's fair enough. I didn't give you any forewarning. So, um, <laughs> well, I wouldn't have done anything anyway. Oh, <laughs> how, um, if that is the case and, you know, you said you don't, you might not even agree with some of the stuff. How, how can people know what to listen to and what not listen to listen to when, you know, we're constantly hearing new things coming out? Oh, I keep it. I like, I always update things, but I, I mean, the basics are going to be the same mm-hmm. when it comes to, to, to running, you know, the, the little nitty gritty details, you know, like how, like how much hip extension you need and, how it should your knee cave in, you know, the, these, these are debatable and I've always debated those, but things like just, you know, not overstriding and having a good cadence and having proper running progression. None of, none of those things are, are going to change, which okay. is good. You know, and, and I think a lot of that just, I, I, I always recommend that people get a coach and that's my big thing for, for injury prevention. Just that's kind of having top. that outside opinion, someone to, totally. yeah. It's smart training. You know, it's not about foam rolling. It's not about going for regular chiropractic care or physio or active release or massage. You know, those things are all all tiny. You know, it, it's good training and, and good just being healthy in every area of your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. And I, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't even imagine not having a coach. But I think it is something that people often put aside and think it's not worth it. But when you think about all those hours and that all the money you spend on different therapies and different gimmicks, you you know, you could be investing that time in a good coach who yeah. really will take you to where you want to go. Um, so let's talk a little bit about those other therapies um, that you have mentioned. Uh, you are you have done ART, you've done myofascial release, you've done neural dynamics. Do you want to ex- explain a little about those or which one you found most effective? Oh, none of the therapies matter. Right. They, they all are, uh, it doesn't matter. Don't, don't ever go to someone because of the therapy or the background or the degree. Go, go to for the person okay. that that's treat that's treating you, Okay. you know, and they want to understand the sport and understand you. And again, they need to look at everything that's going on about the person, but the actual therapy, like whatever technique you're doing, that's, that's not that important. 
you know, especially with manual therapy, that's just a temporary desensitizer, you know, hopefully to get people moving again and doing something active, you know. Okay. So when, when it comes to, you know, you said about earlier on, we were talking about uh, pain when people are returning from injury, can those manual therapies kind of help with that to kind of uh, reset your body so you don't think about it? Or is that not really? You know, I, I use less and less manual therapy as, as things go on. You know, I use manual therapy really just to desensitize and often as a symptom modification. You know, that if I'm working with someone and something hurts when they move, the first priority is a way to change something so that they can move, like if it's lift their arm or do a squat so that it doesn't hurt. So you, you get them, if you look at therapy, it should be you desensitize. You know, that could be manual therapy. It shouldn't last too long person should have some control and not be reliant on you and then you want to reload them meaning put stress on their body to ask them to adapt and that's it that that that's that's as simple as therapy can be and sometimes desensitizes just talk is just talking to them you know and finding out what they think is going on and how worried they are and if they're fearful or if they're catastrophizing meaning they saw someone that said your leg lengths are off and your pelvic is pelvis is torsioned and your SI joint is stuck you know, and, and these are non-helpful beliefs. So sometimes desensitizing is just figuring out what their people's cognitions and what they think. And then we reload them. You know, if, if someone hasn't run in six months, my rehab is going to be to get them running again mm-hmm. if they want to. It has to be something meaningful to them. So uh, that that's always treatment. Desensitize, load back up. You stress the body, you ask it to adapt. And ideally it will. Yeah. And you're saying that as someone who has practiced these in the past, this isn't, you know, you, you, you did believe in those in the past. So you've kind of learned as you've gone on that they're not as helpful as you once. once they're, they're still helpful. It's just probably not as helpful for the reasons that we think. Okay. You know, I would, I still do a form of active release technique, but I would never take a recertification because I wouldn't do it the way they do. Okay. You know, but but it doesn't. I know lots of good practitioners who are ART people, and I yeah. speak with that because I know it well, and and they're great. But it doesn't. It's 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 not always the ART. It's how they do it and okay. who they are yeah. and all the other things that they do. Yeah. So again, we're kind of bringing it back around that you know you're saying it's it's not just the the physical aspect. It's the the whole life, the whole psychological aspect, and how people are um, feeling inside as well as you know the yeah, physical outside. Or it's not the technique, it's the person doing it. Yeah. That's often what you see. Yeah, yeah. yeah great. Um, okay, so when it comes to correcting your running form, let's go back to that for just a minute. You know, you said keep it pretty simple, but things like overstriding and cadence uh, need to be kind of taken uh, care of a little. But how can anyone kind of get away with it? Like for people listening, thinking this is just for elites or should everyone really try and make sure they... You know, you, you know what? If you're not injured and you you just go out and run three days a week, you know, five day five day kilometers, and you've never had a problem, then you don't need to change anything. Okay. You're adapted. It doesn't matter what your running looks like. You're adapted to that. Okay. If you're always getting injured, then it's it's probably something that you should should look at. Mm-hmm. You know, and I believe in really simple changes. Stride rate, like cadence, is a is a great one. Uh, uh, I don't get too caught up on foot strike. You can have a lot of different styles. And again, stride rate and stride length will modify those variables too. So it's a really simple one. Mm-hmm. We often have people take off their shoes, but we're not saying 
you know, uh, go run barefoot all the time. It's just that it's a training tool so that you feel what it's like to run with a shorter stride. Okay. So it helps the person sort of learn it on their own rather than someone say, you know, take more steps. Yeah, yeah, because it naturally shortens your stride. I'm guessing you can't land as hard. It does for like a subset of people, but that's why it's not a panacea. There's like a group of people where you take their shoes off or put them in a racing flat and they're still going to overstride and you might actually be causing more problems. So, you know, it's only, it's only temporary so that they feel it if they feel it. Okay. If it doesn't look any different, then you don't do it. You have to find another way to change their gait. Mm-hmm. And if someone is having pain and they do want to go see someone, it, it, this is not some, is this something they can, uh, you know, get a friend to take a video of them? Like, you know, kind of we talked about a, a little earlier, or is this someone you really do need to see someone like a specialist, a, a proper gait analysis? I, I, I don't think you need to see a specialist. I think there's enough information out there to get an idea. You video yourself. Okay. You know, certainly with stride rate, just trying to take a few more steps per minute, mm-hmm. you know, five or 10 percent. And that's what Brian Heiderscheidt's mm-hmm. research uh, uh, showed. You know, that's enough to change impact. And what's so interesting with simple interventions like that mm-hmm. is is they often change the kinematics. So what the knee does, how it caves in, if you think that's a problem. So okay. these simple interventions have like big, complex, global effects. Yeah. OK. Well, good to know. Um, and then when it comes to just form and uh, making changes to your running in general, do you, do you, have you found that this isn't something that, you know, someone can just push, push a button and kind of fix? Like I've uh, mentioned to you and I'm sure our listeners remember, I've, I've been to a speed clinic uh, about that and it took me a good six months to kind of rewire my body to get used to that. But have you found that in your experience that it, this, you know, the things that you do need to change are not just going to change overnight? No, it's super tough. Mm-hmm. Like you have to do a little bit of, of it every run and you have to slowly ease into it. It's, you know, it's like memorizing a really long poem. You know, it's it uh, you do a little bit all the time. It's mm-hmm. changing a habit. Mm-hmm. And we're just, it's it's hard to change habits. Yeah. You definitely. know, you, you know someone when you see them 200 meters away without seeing their face because you see how they walk. You know, that's our, our, our fingerprint. What I find what's neat with gait retraining is you don't even always have to change it permanently when someone has an injury. You can just use it as a band-aid to desensitize. And then they can go back to their regular gait. Do you find people and, do go back to their gait though? Or yeah. They, they they do? You know, and I did that. I've done that, you know, anecdotally. That's not the best research. But, <laughs> you know, just like you would wear a cast for six weeks, you can change your gait for four to six weeks just to keep your mileage up. Your body's going to adapt. You're going to desensitize. So you can go back to your old, old gait pattern. Okay. You know, we, we do have this amazing ability to tolerate stress. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm always hesitant to say you have to run this way. You know, you have to really change things. Because when you look at not just elites, everybody, there's such a huge variability across the spectrum. You know, and I'd, I'd be hesitant to pigeonhole people into one certain way to do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so you've kind of explained a few things that you have learned about and moved away from uh, as you've as you've grown and as you've uh, continued researching. And what are you up to right now? What does the future look like? Um, my my well, I'm I'm teaching a lot more. Mm-hmm. Sort of this idea of treating the whole person and not throwing out biomechanics, but reconciling with with pain uh, science. That's my 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 big thing. Uh, and then. For research, it's really, I'm just collaborating with other people. 
okay. rather than leading thing, things on my own. Like, Is there a reason for that? Well, I, I don't have an institution anymore. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Makes a difference. Yeah. Although I've considered buying some equipment and doing like Brett Contreras does and just do it on my own. <laughs> but uh, uh, that that might happen. Uh, <laughs> no, it's just a lot of, lot of the teaching and then collaborating. Okay. That, and, the, and then I talk to a lot of researchers, which I would encourage like every young or any clinician to do. I'm... I'm so, I'm always emailing these people I don't know to get their opinions, and it's amazing how often they write you back. So just asking like what they're up to, or well, I just I'll read their paper. You okay. know, I got I get grief because in my course I'm always name dropping, <sighs> but that's how I remember researchers. I think of these researchers as my friends, even though I have no idea who I am. <sighs> and I would email them like some big fan, and. <laughs> But that helps. That's how because once you get to know people's names, it's like, oh yeah, you know, Kubo is the person to talk to about tendons and tendon stiffness and runners and stretching, you know, and then or you know, tendinopathy. I'm going to talk to Jill Cook and Seth O'Neill and Peter Gettings, all these people who I've never met in person, but you know, on social media, and you yeah. just think they're just people you'd hang out with yeah. and ask them about tendons. Oh, definitely. I'm sure a lot of our listeners right now are feeling that about you, that they, you know, they would uh, love to kind of pick your brain and hear what you have to say, but um, they've been too afraid. So maybe we'll encourage them to reach out to you in the future. Sure. (laughs) Um, So when you said about your reconciling uh, pain management, what does that involve? So reconciling biomechanics, so that the... The concern that happens when there's a lot of, you know, research on neuroscience and what happens with pain is is people can too easily fall into two camps where it's the biomechanics camp and it's the pain science camp. And that's really a false dichotomy. You know, you don't have to throw out the active release technique and exercise and core stability programs. You know, those things are still fine. They can fit in with the pain science or the biopsychosocial model. You know, and and it's just I, I used to lecture, and I I it sounded like I would be very critical of biomechanics, and people would be frustrated, and they say, "Well, now what do I do?" You know, and so that was sort of the impetus for the course, where you don't have to throw out those things; it's just reframing them. Okay, and people can register for that on your website, uh, or is it? What do I, I use Eventbrite. It's so much easier and okay. safer for people, and then they have protection with PayPal and all that stuff. So I think on my website would be the list of courses, but then you register th- register through Eventbrite, which, okay. is, which is nice and safe. So all right, I'll put a link to that on the show notes as well for people to oh, sure. click okay. through. Um, so the, that's the all the questions I have for you, but I just have one more, um, which I ask all my guests, which would is if you could give one word to describe what you would like to become, accomplish, or achieve this year, what would it be and why? For me to accomplish? Yep, in your Easy. life. Easy. BQ. Oh, it, well, okay. If that's, I don't know, is, is that your whole life? That's your an ultimate goal of everything right now? Totally. Okay. All right. That's a big focus for you <laughs> then. We'll be all behind you for your... Uh... It's so selfish. My kids, my kids are happy. Everything's fine. <laughs> hey. totally selfish. I want to qualify for Boston. Oh, you've got to look after yourself. You've done enough work for other people all these years, so this is a good thing. I don't be. want world peace. I want to qualify for Boston. <laughs> when is the next one? 
there you know there's like uh boston 2016 there's one in september 13th and i'm gonna say it wrong but it's in erie pennsylvania preskill marathon it's like the last weekend before boston qualifying closes wow so that'll be a big grief of you you can all do it together and you know cheer each other on like you said oh it's gonna be awesome yeah, yeah it's a two leap loop fully shaded course oh well good we wish you every luck for that and uh is there a best way for people to reach you if they want to, you know, stay in touch with you? You said you're active on social media, but do you have a favorite channel or email or what would be? Oh, best tw- Twitter is probably my Twitter and Facebook, I guess. Okay. But Twitter's the the best because it's nice and quick. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and and your, what is your Twitter handle? Just my Greg Lehman. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. There you go. Uh, listeners, if you want to check that out. Um, well, Greg, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been great to kind of peek into your mind and actually not kind of the direction I thought it would go because I, you know, I didn't realize you had kind of uh, moved on and uh, found that new thing. So this has been really interesting and eye-opening for me to to see where you've kind of uh, taken your uh, career path since um, I have read up on you. So thank you for your time and um, we look forward to seeing you with that BQ next to your name. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Well, that just goes to show that even the pioneers of the running world have idols they looked up to. I love that Greg said he was reaching out to others, asking them questions, and just trying to pick their minds. It was also great to hear that people can change their minds about things over time, and it's okay. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you have any suggestions or guests you would like to hear from, you can email me, tina at runnersconnect.net. One of the reasons I did reach out to Greg was because I had a lot of requests for him. So I really will listen to what you say. If you've not already, now will be a great time to subscribe to this podcast, in which you can do through iTunes if you are using iOS or through the app you are using to listen if you are on a droid. Either way, that means it comes right to your device rather than you remembering to find it each Wednesday. Please do not hesitate to ask me if you need any questions. Remember, you can find all the information and all the links we talked about today at runnersconnect.net forward slash RC64. Hope you have a great week.